Morning, church family. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah chapter 20. We're going to be here in the book of Jeremiah uh, chapter 20. We'll go through the entire chapter. We begin this sermon series called Forge in the Fire, and today we're going to look at the fire of quitting. So let me ask you this morning, have you ever felt like quitting? Anyone? You ever felt like throwing in the towel? You ever felt like you failed so bad or so many times that you just wanted to give up? Now, failure doesn't have to be final, nor does failure have to be fatal. In order to make a beautiful sword out of steel, the piece of metal must endure extreme temperatures and the craftsman must take it through a painstaking process to fashion it into something useful and beautiful. Along with the intense planning, the steel needs to be tempered. It must endure a procedure where the artisan heats the steel, holds the steel, hammers the steel, cools the steel, and then takes it through this process over and over again until the metal takes its perfect form, density, and shape. It is then perfectly balanced between too soft to be used and too brittle to break. The stress of the forging of the sword and the stress of using the sword are the same. When the sword is then tested, you know you have something beautiful and useful for years to come. Now, this is what God allows to happen in every one of our lives. As we face trials, as we face difficulties, as we face stresses, as we face hardships, as we suffer and face loss, God is tempering us. God is shaping us. God is holding us, and he's forging away the pieces of our lives. And as we endure these trials, God is making us a more fit for his use. In fact, in the, the book of Malachi, Malachi speaks about a future time when the people of Israel will literally be forged in the fire. Malachi chapter 3 says, But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he, God, is like a refiner's fire and a fuller soap. And it says in verse 3, And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Years ago, I was reading a commentary in reference to Malachi chapter 3 of, of what will happen in the last days and how God will take his people Israel through the fire. And one commentator gave an illustration about how uh, these ladies went to go see silver jewelry being made. And as they were watching the, the artisan heat the silver and, 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 and get all of the impurities out of the silver, uh, one of the ladies spoke up and said, how do you know the silver is ready to be pulled from the fire? To which the artisan said, when you see your reflection in the metal is when you know that it's ready to be pulled from the fire. And sometimes God needs to keep us in the fire until he can see his reflection in us. In fact, Peter says it this way in 1 Peter uh, about the trials that every one of us will endure. He says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now, as we delve into the lives of Jeremiah this week, Jonah the prophet next week, 
Job, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the next few weeks, I want you to see that there is hope. When all seems lost, when it seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, when it seems like everyone has turned against you, when it seems like the suffering will never end, when it seems like all you want to do is quit or end it all, God still has a plan. God still is on the throne. And your immediate suffering is not, nor does it have to be, the end of your story. So today we're going to look at Jeremiah and see how God forged his life and allowed him to deal with the fire of quitting. Now, even though Jeremiah is considered a major prophet, he is obscure to most of the evangelical world. Now, here's what most people know about Jeremiah, right here. This is it. Jeremiah was a bullfrog. That's a it. Friend of mine. When they hear the name Jeremiah, that's all that most people know about Jeremiah, but that's the wrong Jeremiah. And no, he was not a bullfrog. Now, Jeremiah was born towards the end of the long, evil reign of Manasseh, king of Judah. Hezekiah was Manasseh's dad. Hezekiah was a great king. In fact, when you read the Bible in the, uh, the chronicle of 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles and 1 Kings and 2 Kings, Hezekiah was a king like no other. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, like no one before him, nor like anybody after him. But Manasseh was evil. And, 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 and here Jeremiah was born towards the end of his reign. Now, most people believe that his father, Jeremiah's father, was a priest in a village two to three miles north of Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us that his family possessed land and probably had some means. Now, he identified his call as a prophet in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, king of Judah. He was probably somewhere between 18 to 25 years of age when he was called into ministry. Some people believe he was as young as 13 years of age when he was called into ministry. Now, it's interesting when you look at his life. He ministered during the reign of five kings in Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. Josiah was the first king who instituted spiritual reforms, only allowing for the worship of Jehovah God in the land and removing all of the high places in the land of Judah. He is credited with bringing back the Bible to a place of prominence and compiling the Hebrew Scriptures. Josiah reigned for 31 years before he died in battle against Pharaoh Necho of Egypt. Here's what the Bible says about Josiah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David his father and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. Then Jehoahaz became king for all of three months. And Pharaoh Necho took him into captivity into Egyptian lands as his servant. Then the son of Josiah, Jehoiakim, became king. And the Bible says that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He led Judah as a vassal to Egypt and then to Babylon. And Babylon eventually turned loose their hordes against him in the third year of his reign. The Bible says that he was corrupt in that he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood. In other words, if you stood against him, you were going to be dead. If he said anything about him, that he was going to make sure that your life would end and that it would end soon. He eventually died and his son Jehoiachin became king. 
He was evil and followed the footsteps of his father. And the Bible says that he was taken into captivity to Babylon with the best and the brightest of the nation of Israel. This is when Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah were also taken into captivity in about 606 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, installed Zedekiah as his vassal king then in Judah. And in 588, Zedekiah decided he was going to rebel against Babylon. Jerusalem endured a two-year siege that ended with the walls of Jerusalem, the Temple of Solomon, and most of the city being destroyed. Not only that, all of the prophecies of Jeremiah that predicted that uh, the Babylonians would come in and rip the babies out of the wombs and totally decimate the population, all of those prophecies ultimately came true. Zedekiah tried to go out the back door. He fled. He made it miles and miles before the, the army of the Babylonians catched up with him. They caught him. They took him to Babylon. And while he was standing before Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, they killed all of his sons in front of him as the last thing he saw. And then they poked out his eyes. So these are the people who were ruling. And these are the circumstances in which Jeremiah finds himself ministering and prophesying. Now, it seemed like he had a ministry where he preached and he preached and he preached and no one seemed to listen to him. In fact, the Bible says that they despised him. Now, this is the table that is set as we look at chapter 20. Jeremiah chapter 20 is a low point in the ministry of the prophet Jeremiah. In it, we see Jeremiah blaming God. We see him quitting his calling and we see him cursing the day he was born. The captain of the temple, a guard by the name of Pasher, had heard Jeremiah telling the people that Judah was going to be laid waste and that God's judgment was about to follow, fall down upon them. In fact, in chapter 19 of Jeremiah, Jeremiah takes a pot as a picture of the nation of Israel and breaks it in the court of the temple as a symbol of how easily broken the nation of, of Judah, or nation of Israel, was going to be broken. And Pasher hears about it, and he, he hears this, and he believes that Jeremiah, what he's saying sounds like treason. So he has Jeremiah arrested, he has Jeremiah beaten, and then he has Jeremiah put in the stocks. Now, this is what we think of when we think of the stocks, but when you look at the Bible word for stocks, it literally means a twisting. So literally, when they put Jeremiah in the stocks, they were literally putting leverage on every one of his joints and all of the, the, the connections in his body. They really put him on the rack and tried to stretch him out and cause him harm. He was made literally a spectacle. In fact, here's how the Bible puts it in Jeremiah 20, verse 1. It says, Now Pasher, the son of Emer, the priest, who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. Then Pasher smote Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. Now apparently Pasher felt remorse over doing what he did to the Lord's anointed, so he had Jeremiah released. Upon Jeremiah's release, Jeremiah gave a message of judgment from God to Pasher and to the people of Jerusalem. And here's what he says in verse 3. And it came to pass on the morrow that Pasher brought Jeremiah out of the stocks, and Jeremiah said unto him, The Lord hath not called thy name Pasher, but Mogar Mesheb. Now the word Pasher means fruitful on every side. But Jeremiah calls him 
Magar Mesheb, which means a terror on every side. For thus saith the Lord, he says, I will make thee a terror to thyself and to all thy friends, and they shall fall by the sword of their enemies, and thine eyes shall behold it, and I will give Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall carry them captive into Babylon, and shall slay them with the sword. Moreover, Jeremiah says, I will deliver all the strength of this city, and all the labors thereof, and all the precious things thereof, and all the treasures of the kings of Judah, and I will give them into the hand of their enemies, which shall spoil them, and they shall take them, and carry them to Babylon. And thou, Pasher, and all that dwell in thine house, shall go into captivity, and shall come to Babylon, and there thou shalt die, and shalt be buried there, thou and all thy friends, to whom thou hast prophesied lies. So Jeremiah is released, and he doesn't go along quietly. He basically pronounces a judgment against Pasher and all of his friends and all of his house and tells him exactly what is going to happen. And you know what? When Jeremiah prophesied these things later in the book of Jeremiah, you see it came to pass. He wasn't a false prophet. He was a true prophet because what he predicted ultimately came to fruition. Now, as we look at the text this morning and understand what's going on around Jeremiah, we can understand why Jeremiah felt like quitting. He preached, and he preached, and he preached, and it seemed like no one listened to them. And when they did, they imprisoned him and made him a public spectacle uh, for doing what God had told him to do. Now, there are at least four things we can learn from Jeremiah's fiery trial this morning. The first of which is God desires for us to give him our burdens when we suffer. Again, God desires for us to give him our burdens when we suffer. Now, Jeremiah had good reason for feeling like quitting. He was in danger. His life was being threatened. In fact, here's the account in verse 10. For I heard the defaming of many. Fear on every side. Report, say they, and we will report it. All my familiars watch for my halting, saying, peradventure he will be enticed, and we shall prevail against him, and we shall take our revenge on him. Now the priests gathered in the temple, and Jeremiah heard their whispers and saw their fingers pointing his way. Even his friends waited for him to trip up so they could pounce on him and have their revenge. He already had been beaten and locked up. What would they do next? Now Jeremiah's persecution was probably only the beginning of what he would face and what he would suffer. So Jeremiah was discouraged. He had become the laughingstock of Jerusalem. The comedians of Jerusalem got their best material from his life. And here's what it says in verse 7. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. And there was one criticism that was especially hurtful. Verse 10. For I heard the defaming of many fear on every side. They had taken the prophecy that Jeremiah had given to Pasher and turned it towards him. All of the criticism, all of the deafening ears, and the beating and humiliation were beginning to take their toll on this man. His friends had betrayed him, and even for a moment, he thought God had forsaken and betrayed him. Here's what he writes. O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived, for thou art stronger than I and hast prevailed. Jeremiah started to doubt if God was with him. He started to doubt if God's word was true. God had made him prophesied, and he did. But where was the judgment? 
Where were the things that God had told Jeremiah to say? Where were they in coming to pass? Now, the only thing Jeremiah could do with this hurts, the only thing he could do with this heartache, the only thing he could do with his pain and his sufferings was take them to the Lord in prayer. Now, you can imagine Jeremiah hearing the voices of taunting in the distance, overwhelmed inside, filled with doubt, subdued by despair, full of emotion and physical pain, yet the words out of his mouth, the first words are, O Lord, verse 7. Yes, he may have not liked all that he was enduring and would endure, but Jeremiah knew where he needed to pour out his complaints. And I want you to understand this morning that God gives us permission to pour out all of our complaints and pour all of our struggles out to him in prayer. So if you're discouraged, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you feel like you've gotten the short end of the stick in life, if you feel like everyone has turned against you, if you feel heartbroken and downtrodden, I want you to understand that the Bible still says that we can cast all of our care upon him. Why? Because he careth for us. He cares for us. You know, it's interesting as you understand the life of Jeremiah, Jeremiah not only was used of God to write the book of Jeremiah, he was also used of God to write the book of Lamentations. In one of the more precious scriptures we find in the book of Lamentations is in Lamentations chapter 3, where it says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. I don't know where you're at in life right now. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what struggles are burdening you down. I don't know what is going on in the midst of your mind right now, but I want you to understand God is there for you. I want you to understand as we sang just a moment ago about God being good, he is truly good. And the circumstances may not be good right now. And the, the, the things that you're facing may not be good. And the outlook as far as you can see may not be good. But I want you to understand that God's character has not changed. God is always good. I want you to understand also that because Jesus has suffered for us, and taken the pain of our sins to the cross. We can go directly to God as those that have received Jesus' payment as our own, and we can go boldly. Here's what Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 4. It says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, the feeling of our problems, but was in all, point, all points tempted or tested, like as we are yet without sin. And then it says, Let us therefore because of this Come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. God desires for us to take our burdens to him when we suffer. Secondly, what else can we learn from Jeremiah? God sometimes allows his children to suffer in this world. Now, Jeremiah knew his people hated him. They were tired of him preaching judgment all the time. In fact, here's what verse 8 says. For since I spake, I cried out, I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. God gave Jeremiah the message, 
Jeremiah simply proclaimed what God had spoken to him. It wasn't his fault for the message. He was just the messenger. But the people blamed Jeremiah. And as a result, Jeremiah suffered. As Jeremiah thought about all he endured, he came up with a solution. Verse 9 says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. He said, That's it. it. I'm done. I'm through. I'm hanging up my sandals for good. I will no longer speak in God's name. I'm done being a laughing stock. I'm done putting up with this ridicule. I quit. Have you been there? Have you gotten to the point where you're so fed up that you told God and maybe others you were done? Parents, have you been there? You put up with the same thing day after day after day after day after day. And there are thoughts in your mind, I wonder if they could take care of themselves if I left them alone. <laughs> Maybe I could just leave my debit card. Maybe I could just leave them an allowance for clothes. And maybe they could fend for themselves the rest of their lives. Maybe I can count, uh, camp in the mountains of Sholo <laughs> and hunt and fish and live off the grid and get a solar panel. <laughs> Parents, have you been there? Husbands and wives, have you been there? Have you been there? Fellow believers, have you been there? Now, we are all human. And we understand that everyone can get to the point of just wanting to quit. But we don't have to stay there. And we see from the text that Jeremiah didn't. Just as soon as he quits... He realizes quitting is an impossible task. Notice what the Bible says. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing and could not stay. You see, God's word was a burden too great for him no longer to share it. He knew that God had a message for him to share and the people needed to hear it. And just as soon as he quit, he gives himself to the task once again. Someone well said this, never doubt in the dark what God has revealed in the light. God had called Jeremiah to preach. He had no doubt about that. Jeremiah needed to reaffirm himself in what God had already called him to do. At the beginning of Jeremiah's calling, God had told him these things in verse 18 of chapter 1. For behold, I have made thee this day a defense city and an iron pillar and brazen walls against the whole land against the kings of Judah and against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof and against the people of the land. And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. Notice this, for I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. Jeremiah's commission made it clear that Jeremiah would suffer for the sake of the Lord. But God had also made it clear that God would deliver him. 
Now, we need to understand that God sometimes allows his children to suffer for his sake in this world. In fact, Jesus told his disciples it this way in John chapter 16 as he was ready to depart this world to be crucified and then to ascend into heaven. He said, in this world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We see thirdly, what can we learn from Jeremiah and his life as he went through the fire of quitting? God desires to be praised even when we suffer. Now, Jeremiah reflected on God and his circumstances in this dark time, and he interrupted his complaint to hold a mini-worship service. He was alone, he was afraid, he was depressed and discouraged, but he offered a short song of praise to God. In fact, the song contained a confession of faith. Verse 11, But the Lord is with me as a mighty, mighty terrible one. Therefore my persecutors shall stumble, and they shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed, for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. You see, Jeremiah knew that the Lord was with him, even though it felt like God was far away. The prophet knew that the Lord is strong, even though at that time he seemed powerless. He knew that the wicked would be defeated, even though right now they appeared triumphant. So Jeremiah boldly confessed that the Lord would save him. And then we see in this song a prayer for deliverance. Verse 12, But thou, O Lord of hosts, that triest the righteous and seest the reins and the heart, let me see thy vengeance on them, for unto thee have I opened my cause. Now, Jeremiah didn't take matters into his own hands, but he committed his life and his purpose to the Lord. He prayed that he would be vindicated while his enemies would be punished. This is exactly what Jesus did while he was on the cross. In fact, Peter says it this way, writing of that account, he says, for even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving an example that we should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Jesus gave it all to the Father. And then what else do we see in this song of Jeremiah? We see a hymn of praise. Verse 13, sing unto the Lord. Praise ye the Lord, for he hath delivered the soul of the poor from the hand of evildoers. You can imagine Jeremiah, and while he's in the stocks, he's singing. It may have not been a long song, but it was a song of praise nonetheless. And in that song, there was a recognition of the sovereignty of God, that God allows or causes everything to happen in our lives, and that he's working things together for our good and ultimately for God's glory. In fact, Romans says it this way. Say it with me this morning. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, it says, And we what? No. Say it with me. And we know that all things work together for good, to them who are the called according to his purpose, to them that love God, to them who are the called, the all things are going to work together for our good and ultimately for our glory. That doesn't mean that everything's going to work out good. What it does mean is that everything's going to work together for our ultimate good. Now, like Jeremiah, the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer was imprisoned for the sake of God's word. Bonhoeffer endured his dark night of the soul in a Nazi concentration camp. Yet he did not stop praising God. Here's what he writes. 
He says, I am lonely, but thou leavest me not. I am restless, but with thee there is peace. You see, it's always good to praise the Lord, but especially good when we are suffering and want to quit. The best thing to do when you're discouraged is to go to the Lord and worship. Keep confessing, keep praying, keep singing. Even when you have a complaint to make to God, confess your faith in Him. Pray for deliverance and praise His name. And then lastly, what can we learn from Jeremiah? Suffering doesn't have to be the end of the story. Suffering doesn't have to be the end of the story. Now, Jeremiah's story doesn't end with a crescendo of praise. It actually ends in a cascade of discouragement. If you've ever read the book of Psalms, you understand that many of the psalmists, they, they start out and there is this high of praise, and in the middle of the psalm, there's this low of what they're dealing with, and by the end of the psalm, there's another crescendo of praise. That's not how chapter 20 ends of Jeremiah. In fact, here's how it ends. Notice the words. This is Jeremiah. Curse be the day wherein I was born. It's pretty heavy stuff. Let not the day wherein my mother bear me be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought tidings to my father, saying, A man-child is born unto thee, making him very glad. And let the man be as the cities which the Lord overthrew and repented not. And let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at noontide, because he slew me not from the womb, or that my mother might have been my grave and her womb to be always great with me. Wow. Instead of celebrating his birth, Jeremiah cursed it. He wanted to reach back in time and curse everything and everyone who had anything to do with him coming into this world. He wished the man that brought his father the good news had strangled him instead. He wished that God would treat him as harshly as he treated the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, we need to recognize the confusing and almost schizophrenic nature of our emotions at times as believers. We at the same time are saints and at the same time are sinners. And although our sins are forgiven, we sometimes continue to sin. One minute we praise God, the next minute we curse Him. One minute we rejoice in what He's doing and His plan for our lives, and the next minute we resist His will. Now, Jeremiah didn't come right out and ask God to end his life, but he wished that God would have never let it happen to begin with. And here's what we, we see in the last verse of the chapter. Wherefore came I forth out of the womb to see labor and sorrow, that my day should be consumed with shame. Wow. Now, Jeremiah knew the trouble of persecution, the sorrow of watching his people reject the word, and also the shame of public humiliation. All this suffering placed a giant question mark over his existence. Though he was strong in his faith, there were times when he had more questions than answers. Have you been there? And here in chapter 20, he questioned his creation, he questioned his salvation, and he questioned his vocation. Now, Jeremiah's questions teach a final lesson about suffering. Although suffering can place a question mark over our existence, it never has the last word 
it is never the end of the story. Now, chapter 20 ends with a question mark that Jeremiah himself was in no shape to answer, but for which the Scripture provided a good answer. Now, why did Jeremiah come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow? Now, as we have seen, God had already given Jeremiah the answer when he first called him into ministry. The prophet needed to be reminded of the first thing the Lord ever said to him in Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Now, Jeremiah traced his troubles back to his mother's belly, the womb. But he didn't go back far enough. God could trace his promises back before the womb. He'd had a purpose for Jeremiah's life since the beginning of time. And the prophet needed to be reminded that from all eternity, the Lord had set him apart for salvation and ministry. Now, maybe today you need the same reminder. Are you suffering? Are you mocked by your family and friends? Are your enemies waiting for you to trip up? Are you weighed down by the provocativeness and the ungodliness of this world? Are you struggling with health problems and loss and difficulties that have come into your life? At, are there times when you wonder why you ever came out of your mother's belly? Here's the reason I believe why. God has set you apart for salvation and ministry. God has a purpose for your life. He has a purpose for your problems. He has a purpose for your difficulties. He has a purpose for your heartaches. He has a purpose for your losses. He has a purpose for your persecutions. And they are not the end of the story. In fact, here's what our study in Ephesians told us and, told us and tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. The Bible says, Paul to the Ephesian Christians, it says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us unto the adoption of the children by Jesus Christ to himself. Think about this. God chose you from the foundation of the world, and he purposed you to be his son. And, and as, his, as his child, as his son or daughter, he's going to take care of you. Just like you want to take care of your children, God wants to take care of you. Just, want you. just like you want to provide for your children, God wants to provide for you. Just like you want to come alongside of your children, God wants to do the same thing for you and even more so. And then it goes on to say in verse 6, to the praise of his glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Now, some of us grew up understanding or thinking that God wanted us to constantly perform. That unless we did this, God would not do this. And I understand there are some conditional promises in the word of God, but sometimes for some of us, we grew up in, in such a fashion that we didn't believe our salvation was enough. We thought there had to be more. And the fact of the matter is, there's nothing you can do that can ever cause God to love you any more, and there's nothing you can do that can ever cause God to love you any less. He loves you. And if you're his child, you're accepted in the beloved. Why? Because in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So this morning, have you received Jesus' forgiveness as your own. 
Have you realized that as a sinner, you're incapable of saving yourself and only God's riches expressed through the person of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice can save you? If you have, God has a purpose for your life as his child. You are accepted and blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus, and God wants you to share that message with others, and God wants you to endure this world knowing that this world is not your home, and you have someone that you can share this with as well. You can help point them to the hope that is in God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 talks about the God of all comfort who comforteth us in all of our tribulation wherewith we can comfort those who are needing the same comfort. So God comforts us when we suffer. So in turn, we can comfort others who are enduring the same type of suffering. But sometimes when God comforts us as we suffer, we never take that next step and seek to comfort those who themselves are suffering as well. Now, there have been times in my life when I have been at the low of the low of the valley. And one of the things that I found to do that is very helpful is I always go find somebody that has it worse off than me. And I take a moment to speak into them and encourage them and help them and bless them. And you know what happens? All of a sudden, I'm not thinking about my own problems. I'm thinking about the problems that they have and how I can help them to take them to the Lord, and then I can take my own problems back to the Lord as well. So this morning, don't quit. As you go through the fire, God is using your difficulty to forge you into something beautiful. How will you respond to the fire of quitting? Suffering doesn't have to be the end of your story. God desires us to praise even in the midst of our suffering. God sometimes allows his children to suffer for his sake, and God desires for us to give him our burdens when we suffer. If you're at, at an extreme low point this morning and you've had active or passive suicidal ideations, uh, the National Suicide and Crisis Hotline has a new number that you can text or reach out to. It's now 988. If you're there, reach out to them and they'll put somebody on the phone that will be a help to you. If you're experiencing suffering and loss, we have Grief Share that meets seasonally here at Desert Hills. If you have some hurts and hang-ups that you need to work through, every Thursday night at 6.30 we have Celebrate Recovery that meets here on this campus to help people and to guide them through their fire as they deal with the fires of life. And if our church staff or if I can ever be a help to you and your family, don't hesitate to call us or reach out to us via email or text or any way you can. We'd be happy to help and serve you. But right now I want to take a moment. I want to solemnize this time and I want every head bowed and every eye closed and I want to have a moment of just prayer. I want you to just give your burdens and I want you to take a moment and to give your struggles, and I want you to take a moment to think about the Lord and to think about how he can help you as you deal with the fires of life.